Hello and greetings and welcome once again to the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Thankful that you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world or however you may be listening. Just just glad you're here. Frankly, we appreciate all of our listeners. We also appreciate all of our partners, not the least of which is Live Happy Magazine. That's where we get the name for this podcast, after all. And you can get it on newsstands everywhere fine magazines are sold. You can also get the digital edition in the uh, Apple Store, uh, the App Store. They call it the App Store. And then Google calls it the Google Play Store. It's fun. Two different stores, two different services. It's fantastic. Check it out no matter what uh, service you prefer to use. We also want you to check out our other partner, Life Reimagined. Their website is lifereimagined.org slash happy. They've got all kinds of uh, processes for you to try and resources, things for you to think about as you are making that journey toward your peak happiness. And you know what they say? As you awaken to the power of happiness, so do your dreams. What's next? Go to lifereimagined.org slash happy. Well, in this episode of Live Happy Now, we're going to discover why mindfulness can be considered the ultimate success habit. had a conversation with Matt Tenney, who is the author of The Mindfulness Edge, how to rewire your brain for leadership and personal excellence without adding to your schedule. And uh, through keynote speeches and training programs, he worked to develop highly effective leadership skills and leaders who achieve extraordinary long-term business outcomes and live more fulfilling lives as a result of realizing the high levels of self-mastery and more effective uh, serving and inspiring of greatness in the people around them. Well, first of all, Matt, it is fantastic to have you because uh, over the previous 59 episodes of Live Happy Now, I think we've talked about mindfulness in probably 45 of them as a key theme uh, towards uh, happiness. And, and that's what that's what you're all about. You say that mindfulness is the ultimate success habit. Now, why is that? Well, I think, as you're probably well aware of having heard of mindfulness 45 times in the last <laughs> almost 60 episodes, uh, you know, the practice is being embraced by just, just about every segment of society. Um, and, and for good reason, uh, you know, there, there are many benefits of the practice and a lot of them are professional and related, professionally related. So, you know, when, when people practice correctly, they tend to develop better emotional intelligence. Uh, they make better decisions. And of course, these things are really beneficial for being more effective professionally. But the reason I call it the ultimate success habit is that there are very few things that I'm aware of that you can do to improve your your professional life that at the same time make you happy and help you to be a more kind and compassionate human being. And that's precisely what mindfulness does. So while you're practicing, while you're developing these traits that are very, very important for succeeding in the professional world, especially as a leader or in a sales position, you're also increasing levels of happiness um, and and developing qualities that I think is, are what really make life rich, which are having high levels of empathy and kindness and compassion and being able to, to treat people the way that we should be treating people. Absolutely. And mindfulness is not just awareness, but it's it's applying what you're seeing and hearing and being able to, like you said, empathize and go on. I think that's an important distinction to make. You mentioned that it's not just for professional use, although it is definitely very helpful professionally. How does it help to build better and stronger relationships? Well, I think the, the key element of mindfulness training that improves relationships is, it, is the capacity uh, for developing emotional intelligence. So that's kind of the, the very broad uh, umbrella. Um, but a couple areas that I think very specifically are really key are one is that it helps us develop 
uh, presence. It helps us to be to develop this capacity to be give be fully present with somebody, give them our full undivided attention. And I'm sure that you and probably everyone else listening, and probably not very long ago, has had a conversation with somebody, and you could just tell that they weren't with you. Either they were texting, which was grossly obvious that they weren't with you, or they uh, were looking around to see who they're going to talk to next, or you were, they were looking you right in the eyes, but you could see that nobody was home. <laughs> and, of course, it's not a very fulfilling conversation, right? Right. Um, but when we have a conversation with somebody, especially if we have respect for that person, we hold them in high esteem, um, and that person is just really there and makes you feel like you're the most important person they're going to talk to all day, that really, that's really touching. And it, it's something that uh, we remember. And it mm-hmm. turns out that this is very trainable. You know, this is essentially what mindfulness training is, is being able to develop a mind that's not so easily distracted um, and is, is very able to, to stay with what's happening right now, with who's right in front of us. Um, and then, of course, that ties into the empathy component. You know, the more present we are, the more sensitive we are to what the needs are of this person who's right in front of us. And not just um, like tactical type things, like they need a new car or something like that. But I'm, I'm talking about just right there in the moment, what is the way that we can help uplift this person um, to make this, this person feel just a little bit better or um, grow just a little bit um, and just by adding that little bit of value, that's what I think that, that can make a person really stand apart from the crowd, especially nowadays where um, the, the ability to really to be present with people is, is undermined by how busy our lifestyles are and all of our electronic gadgets and all these things. So mm-hmm. um, the, the ability to do this, I think, is, is, is really fundamental to, to developing deep relationships and sustaining them. And building those connections, uh, it really, it, and showing that you're building that connections and giving off the signals that you're really engaged with this person, it really kind of does start a flow uh, of happiness. It's reciprocal, right? Because if they feel valued by what you're doing, and then they're going to show you that in return, and it, it just it continues to sort of uh, bubble out from the from the epicenter. Would you agree? Oh yeah, I totally agree. You know, I think, in fact, you know this it's a way of, of, of serving somebody, um, you know, just, just to be fully present is a way of serving. And I think you're hitting on a very key point that, you know, what, what can really bring some joy and fulfillment in life is, is to be more focused on what we're doing to serve others than what, than our own short-term, uh, ambitions and our own short-term desires. Uh, you know, when, when we come into every interaction with this, uh, openness and this willingness to help, uh, it definitely reciprocates. I mean, the joy is right there in the moment. Um, but of course, because the other person is uplifted and feels cared for, uh, most of the time it's going to be reciprocated. I, I think uh, it's probably not going to be reciprocated every time. Sure. And it really does start with yourself. And, and then you'll kind of build yourself worth through being someone who is attentive and is there for people. And, and on a personal level, that works. And on a professional level, you'll see it all the time, too. The people that say yes, the people who are willing to help outside of their job description uh, and are and are mindful of things that need to be done to help other people's, they, they seem to be the ones that advance. Definitely. Definitely. And, and it's especially true in a leadership position. Uh, you know, the, the, really the essence of leadership is the ability to influence the behaviors and the decisions of others. And I, I don't know of a better way to build influence with people than to let them know that you truly care about them. I mean, assuming that you have a modicum of intelligence and that people, you know, re- have some respect for you um, in your professional capacity. I mean, that's kind of a given. You're not going to be put into a position 
where you're in charge of others unless you have that. Mm-hmm. But what sets, I think what really sets a great leader apart is that that leader can consistently and effectively help the people around them to feel truly cared for. And, you know, I know a lot of people don't use the word love in the business context, but I think it's very appropriate. And I think that's what the best leaders do is they, they actually love the people around them. And I'm not talking about a feeling, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I, I just really feel so wonderfully about, you know, Susan. It, it's not about that. It, it, love is an, it's an action, mm-hmm. right? It's a verb. And, you know, the people that can, um, the leaders that can consistently demonstrate love through their actions by, and it, and it can be as simple as being very attentive, listening extremely well, catching needs that no one else catches. Um, that's how you build the influence that creates um, an amazing capacity to lead others. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you look at a lot of, of the successful uh, sports organizations even, and a lot of the most successful coaches are ones that love their players and can uh, figure out what needs to be done to make that player very successful. And even players on the on the field or the court or what have you are the ones that can see what their teammates need to make themselves better. I think that's a, a fantastic point. Another point that you make in uh, the Mindfulness Edge, you talk about mindfulness training allowing us to save the world on the way to the battle. Bathroom. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll give you the very short answer, and then if you want to go deeper, I'd be happy to because <laughs> uh, this this could be a pretty long discussion. And at the risk of sounding, this might sound this is going to be very oversimplified. So again, we can go into more detail if you like. Sure. But I, I don't think it takes it doesn't take a very close examination to see that for our world to be a place that functions very well. Um, it's not about fixing all of the, the problems, the symptoms that we see. It's about human beings being generous and kind and compassionate. You know, mm. if, if we had a world full of very wise human beings who realized that taking care of the people around them is, is ultimately taking care of themselves or of their selves, then we wouldn't have the problems that we see in our world, right? Sure. So that has to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, the only place that it can start is with us. So if we develop those qualities, if we can overcome the conditioning that makes us want to be greedy and makes us want to be self-centered, that uh, makes us want to respond to a problem with anger or violence, if we, if we can overcome that conditioning and replace those, those poisons, so to speak, with the virtuous qualities of kindness and compassion and generosity, then one, we're already making an impact, right? We're already helping the people around us. Um, but if we, if we cultivate the very high levels of those qualities, then we have the ability to help others do the same. And that, through a ripple effect, you know, if, if one person at a time develops those qualities and helps others do the same, it may be a thousand years from now, but eventually we might just get to a point where every human being has uprooted these poisons of greed and, and hatred uh, and then we wouldn't see the problems that we have. Now, why I say you can you can start this or even make a significant impact on this just while you're walking to the bathroom is that in any moment that you've made the shift to being mindful, which I define as simply making the shift away from being our thinking, from being that voice in our head that's constantly blabbering away, <laughs> to being aware of that voice, being aware of our own body even, that is the shift to being mindful. And that can be done at any time, including while you're walking to the bathroom. Hmm. And as we know, uh, you know, there's 
a growing body of research that supports the idea that that simple shift, that shift from moving away from being our thinking to being aware of our thinking, um, reduces our egocentric tendencies and, and actually changes the brain in ways that help us to be more kind, more compassionate, more generous, more empathetic. The, these very positive, these qualities that were, these positive qualities that we're speaking of. It's, so it doesn't have to be, of course, there's great value to having you know, more formal practice, take, setting aside a time or setting aside time to do that. Mm-hmm. But the practice can be walking to the bathroom. If it's, if it's walking to the bathroom heedlessly, caught in our thinking, then it's, it's not very beneficial for ourselves or for others. But if we walk to the bathroom in mindfulness, then that is part of the practice. And we are at a very subtle level changing how our mind operates in ways that allow us to develop those virtuous qualities and thereby make, an, make us help this, this society of ours move in the direction of being one that functions very well. It's kind of like how the, the big rivers start with a small trickle somewhere up north and then they flow uh, to a greater ocean. Is that kind of the metaphor that, that, you're, that you're looking at there? That's a very good metaphor. Yeah, and in fact, you know, you could, you could apply that metaphor both to moving society in the, in the direction of, of a society that's full of human beings that are free from anger and, and greed, um, but you could also use it uh, to just each moment of our day, including mm-hmm. that walk to the bathroom, which is, am I awake in this step? Yeah. And now, am I awake with this step? And of course, you know, we, we probably need to move to the bathroom quickly, so I'm not saying we need to move in slow motion. <laughs> um, but we've got work to do, right? But, sure. but whether we move quickly or slowly, we can be awake with each step. And each step taken with wakefulness is a, is a step in that right direction. And to use your metaphor, it's adding a couple more drops of water to that little creek that then becomes a river that then fills the ocean. I, I like that imagery, and, and it, like you said, it applies to both. You can start small, and you might not get the get to that ocean immediately, but eventually those those drops will all add up. And then that kind of leads into, uh, as well, what you've written about, where you say, it's possible to realize happiness that doesn't depend on any condition outside of, of ourselves. How would you explain that? Sure. I, I know that the, the Live Happy... Uh... The, every, everything that is uh, shared is, is centered around positive psychology. I know there's ve- very good research on some things that are helpful for increasing happiness. And probably the most important thing we can do is develop, um, you know, solid and healthy interpersonal relationships. I think that's probably the most agreed upon way to increase happiness in life. Um, so it may not be necessary that we need to develop happiness that does not depend on any condition outside of ourselves. But, it may be uh, that we may find ourselves in a position where we're alone um, and we don't have the ability to develop um, relationships immediately around us. And, and I actually think that when we, when we cultivate the ability to be perfectly happy, even without relationships, it can then uh, infuse the relationships that we eventually do have with, with much greater fulfillment. And so, how mindfulness allows us to develop that type of happiness that depends on absolutely nothing other than being alive and breathing. Um, probably the most basic way to look at it is to, is to just realize that our thinking is what creates our problems, mm. right? It, it, if you know, two people can experience the exact same situation and have two completely different reports about how they experienced it. One person could say it was absolutely terrible. The other person could say they had a wonderful time and want to write home about it. Mm -hmm. And the only difference is 
how their mind interpreted that event, right, and, and what they thought about it. So what mindfulness allows us to do is it's not necessarily going to change your thinking, um, at least not directly and immediately. But what, what it allows us to do directly and immediately is not be controlled by that thinking. And mm-hmm. so when, when we can see our thinking objectively, it no longer has the ability to evoke uh, an unpleasant emotion. You know, so if we're in, in a situation that's undeniably unpleasant, um, you know, like you're late for a, a meeting and you're sitting in traffic. I don't think anyone uh, would would argue that that's a, um, not an unpleasant situation sure. um, or not a pleasant situation, but or is a pleasant situation. But the, the idea is that if you really if you take thinking out of it and, and if you're just sitting in the car, your hands are on the wheel, you're totally stopped. You feel your feet on the on the floor of the car, your, your legs on the seat. Um, the temperature is probably pretty nice in there. Mm-hmm. How is that any different than just sitting in the car just because you want to, to relax? Sure. You know, it's no different, right? The, the, problem, the problems start when we get caught in that thinking that says, oh, this is terrible because I'm surrounded by cars that aren't moving. I'm late for an appointment. I could get fired or I'm going to you know, disappoint my team or whatever the case may be. And, and so the problems stem from all that thinking that turns what is inherently – a neutral situation into something that's really unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if we're, if we're not caught in that thinking, if we can see it objectively, then what happens is it doesn't cause unpleasant emotion. And with increased training, what it happens is that the training or the, the thoughts tend to arise and pass away much more quickly. We get stuck in them less and less. Um, and so with that, with that very simple entryway, that's kind of the basic idea is that just by simply having an objective awareness of thinking, it no longer has the ability to tarnish what is inherently a neutral situation. And if you want to go a step further, I mean, you, you could argue that each moment is perfect just the way that it is. Um, even one mm-hmm. that may not seem so, so pleasant. Um, it's perfect in and of itself until thinking comes in and labels it otherwise. Well, I think that's a great jumping off point for folks that are really trying to bring more mindfulness in their lives. But it was like you said, and I think you had the perfect metaphor, and maybe that's just because uh, I live in Dallas, Texas, and traffic here is uh, objectively awful. Uh, but, but even just this morning, uh, you, you, I, I noticed myself going, okay, well, I'm in traffic. That happens. Uh, everybody I work with also lives in this city, so they get it. They're not, they, you know, how mad can they really get? And, and then you could enjoy the moment that you're in that, hey, I'm alive. I'm, I'm living in Dallas, Texas. I'm, we've got fantastic weather today and all these people are around and we're all going to go do things that make a difference. And, and it really did change the outlook I had on my commute this morning and really, uh, built the foundation of a great day. Hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. And so the first step there, you know, so it sounds like you did a great job of reframing, uh, you know, in the, the first step there is the one that I think is most important is to have that objective awareness of the thoughts going through your head. Cause I'd imagine there might've been some initial oh, yeah. frustration with the fact that you're stuck in traffic. <laughs> oh, sure. You yeah. Realize that you see it objectively. You say, okay, yeah, it's natural to be frustrated that you're in traffic. And then it, pa- and then once that thought passes, that's where your freedom lies, right? Mm-hmm. So when, or even before it passes, just by being able to see it objectively, it's not controlling you. So your freedom lies right there. When you see that thought objectively as, oh, there, there's me thinking about how this is unpleasant. And that opens up the door to 
now you can say, well, is that, is that really the case? I mean, is this really that bad? Yeah. As you laid out, it's not. Um, it's something that everybody else is going through. And it's uh, unless you're in Dallas in the summer and your air conditioning doesn't work, it's probably, probably yeah. not that bad. Yeah, that'd be the only time where I might have a, a difficult time uh, finding the joy <laughs> in the moment well, I, on those. But now, interestingly, that's, um, you know, I don't know how far, how, how deep you want to go with this. But interestingly, that's ultimately what mindfulness allows us to do is uh, not only be at peace in that situation where the air conditioner doesn't work and it is inherently unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with with the proper approach to the practice, you can, there is it is possible to find joy in what is uh, undeniably an unpleasant situation like being stuck in traffic in the summer and your air conditioning doesn't work. Well, and, and now as you mention it, then I'm thinking, well, at least most of the time it works, and I live in a part of the world where air conditioning is a luxury <laughs> that we have, so that's good. Yeah. See, now now I'm started on this whole trek. See how easy it is, folks? It's been 20 minutes into the show, and we're already <laughs> we're making progress. Well, I don't know if that uh, – that would probably help to find peace. I, I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that would help bring uh bring joy to that situation but no but <laughs> I, I know what could what what could help bring joy to the situation is um you know part of the part of the practice of mindfulness is i know it's often stated as just you know keeping attention uh you know in the present and you know being able to to do that moment to moment and but there's there's another component that's not talked about a whole lot um at least not in kind of the the broad circles of of mindfulness but as you get a little bit deeper into the practice, a very, very important aspect of the practice is to not only uh, train to keep your attention alive to what is actually coming in now and now and now, but as things are arising, to actually, instead of just allowing them to arise and pass away or ignoring them as we often do, or to get caught in them as the untrained person might, might do, is to actually turn right towards them and hold them up in full awareness and actually investigate them. And this investigative equality, that's where the joy comes in. Mm. Because when, if you see an adverse reaction arising within yourself to being stuck in traffic without your air conditioner on in the heat of summer in Dallas, which is undeniably unpleasant. But if you see your adverse reaction objectively, what arises is insight. If, especially if the mind, if awareness is stable enough, there's this insight that, oh, wow. That's just conditioning. I can watch that adverse reaction arise and pass away. Mm-hmm. And right there in that insight, is, it's, it's, very, uh, it's a very liberating moment when we see that very clearly. And in that moment, there can actually be joy tends to arise. If there's some energy in the mind, awareness is stable, and you see clearly that this adverse reaction is not really what you are. It's just something that arises and passes away the joy arises in that moment. And that's, that to me is pretty miraculous to be able to experience joy in an undeniably unpleasant situation. Oh yeah. And to have the, the mindfulness and the awareness uh, is a, is a miracle that uh, we as, as mammals and primates that we can even form those kind of thoughts. It's, it's a, a fantastic thing. 
I feel like we could go down several rabbit holes here, but we're we're really up against <laughs> it now. Uh, but I, but I do want to make sure we get to one thing because so many people are dealing with. Uh, being connected all the time and emails are coming in and phone calls are going out and the kids have to get to soccer practice and then uh, you got to make dinner and then you got to do all the things and their minds are chaotic and they think, well, I, there's no possible way for me to practice mindfulness with all these things running through my brain. I've got to have a clear mind and I just can't get there right now. You say that it's possible to achieve this mindfulness even in the midst of a chaotic world. How How is that possible? Yeah, I think that I think that's kind of a common misunderstanding about what what mindfulness does for us. Um, you know, I, the way the brain works is it's it, this is a grossly oversimplified um, description, but it, it's it's relatively accurate. You know, if you ex, if you expose your brain through your sense organs to a busy day, guess what's going to happen in your mind? <laughs> it's going to be busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, now if if you take a week to go camping and you do nothing but just go for a walk in the woods, I wouldn't be surprised if your mind becomes pretty empty by the end of that week. And, um, and that's just, that's just how the mind works. You know, if you're going to work every day and you've got kids and you're commuting and whatever your life story is, if you're the average person, you're exposed to a lot and your mind's going to be very busy. So the, the idea that your mind should be clear of thought or empty of thought, I think is, um, it's not, it's not realistic, and nor is it even really the goal of mindfulness. The, the goal is to be able to see that the mind is busy without being in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's where the freedom is. And so what can happen is, you know, well, just to use kind of a, a daily life example in terms of things that normally are really busy for us and often add, add anxiety, is just look at texting um, mm. you know, I think a lot of us, when we're texting, we're doing a couple things at once maybe, and it feels like we're being pulled. And if you really were to notice what's going on in your body when you're texting, it's probably kind of anxious. Your body's kind of tight. Um, and I don't think that means we need to stop texting. You know, what I think it means is that we need to make that part of our practice. And it's, it's perfectly possible to just take a moment before you text and say, well, now what I'm going to do is just text. That's mm. it. I'm not going to text while I look at the TV and while I talk to this person. Right now, it's just texting. And while I do that, I'm going to make sure that I'm aware of what it feels like to hold the phone. I know that my, what my feet feel like on the ground. I'm aware of my finger touching the screen. So this, all these things that we think of as, as a chaotic part of our lives, I think can actually be part of the practice and very useful ones. To include this, a mind that's very busy. So to come to the to the more moment to moment practice of what's going on internally, it's kind of coming back to what we were just talking about with observing the adverse reaction internally. You know, if if we have the objectivity to just notice, holy macaroni, that <laughs> mind is going crazy right now. It's just thinking a hundred thoughts a minute. If if we can see that objectively, and we're not stuck in it, it's right there is peace. And mm. in fact. As I was mentioning earlier, it, if we have a mind, uh, if our awareness is relatively stable and there's some energy in the mind, it can actually be a very joyful experience when, when, we, when we can just watch that mind. And many thoughts are going through it, and all of a sudden we just realize, wow, that's not what I am. I, I, can, I can see these thoughts coming and going. Those thoughts are not me. And that, that insight right there can, can bring a lot of joy. And I've actually found that sometimes that insight comes uh, more easily when the mind is pretty busy. 
um, when it is chaotic because there's so much energy there that it, it can it can really make that insight very clear that, wow, that's not what I am. I can observe those thoughts coming and going. I can hear them objectively. Hmm. That's not me. That's just a tool that I can use to function in life. And that insight right there is uh, very liberating and, and often results in joy right in the moment. It's it's certainly very thought provoking just to hear about it, and I can I can only imagine uh, the joy that that uh, putting that into practice is uh, going to bring, and I'd imagine that it's going to happen very soon uh, in the lives that we're leading. Well, Matt Tenney, author of the book Mindfulness Edge: How to Rewire Your Brain for Leadership and Personal Excellence Without Adding to Your Schedule, we're so thankful that you took some time out to visit with us. Uh, we, we encourage folks to check out the book. We've got uh, links to uh, places you can buy it up on our website livehappynow.com uh, but but again thank you so much for sharing uh, your thoughts and insights with us and uh, like I said there's so many avenues we could explore I'd love to love to talk to you again sometime down the road oh it would be my pleasure to do so and, and it was definitely my pleasure to, to spend uh, a few moments chatting with you and I thank you for inviting me to do so well we certainly appreciate it and uh, and we'll look forward to it to another visit thanks again thank you and if you would like a free sketch note of this episode or to learn more about the Mindfulness Edge, you can go to livehappynow.com. We would, we would love for you to do so. And while you're online, we would love for you to let us know what you are thinking. It can be something you took away from this episode of the podcast, something you'd like to hear from us in the future. There are all kinds of ways to do it, too. You can send us a short blurb on Twitter, 140 characters or less, at livehappy. Uh, you can put all kinds of things down on facebook.com slash livehappy. Or you can send us an email detailed as finely or coarsely as you want. Is that how it would course detail? Anyway, you can send us an email, podcast at livehappy.com. We'd love to hear from you. It's a two-way conversation, that is for sure. Well, for Matt Tenney and everyone at Live Happy Now, I am J.R. Houston saying so long, thank you, and remember to always live happy. <laughs>